everybody. Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. Today is going to be a big Supreme Court heavy day for us because we got two major cases. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson, and I'm joined by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong. Joe, give us a little bit more detail about what we're going to talk about today, please. Hello, Jessica. As always, happy to be here. This is like playoff season for Supreme Court aficionados. And this morning, as you said, the court released three decisions, two big ones and a spare. We're going to run those down for you. Now, the first of these is California versus Texas, and it involves the ongoing struggle over the Affordable Care Act, colloquially known as Obamacare. The second decision is Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, and that particular decision will impact foster care programs and religious freedom. And the third is Nestle versus Doe, and it is a sordid tale of child slavery and international law. So let's dive right in, Jessica. Republicans have been trying to kill Obamacare since before former President Obama's signature was dry in March of 2010 when he signed that particular document. Did this morning's decision move the needle one way or the other? Yes and no, a lawyer's favorite answer. But as you said, Obama's signature was dry. I was thinking, Will people even understand that reference in a few years? Because, of course, regular ink is immediately dry and most people just type on computers. For another episode, we'll talk about how my many references in class are now getting old for my students. So the answer to the question is, this decision means that the Affordable Care Act is still the law of the land. And why? Because the court actually didn't make a decision on the quote-unquote merits of the case. The court instead said there's nobody here who can walk in the courthouse doors, meaning there's nobody here who has standing. Now, let's take a quick step back and really quickly summarize why this case was even before the Supreme Court. As you said, 2010, President Obama signs his signature piece of legislation, the Affordable Care Act. It arrives on the Supreme Court doors two years later, and the Supreme Court upholds the majority of the Affordable Care Act, and specifically with respect to this one provision, the individual mandate that requires people to buy health care or pay a penalty, the court said, you know, that's okay because under the Constitution, Congress has taxation authority, and this looks like a tax because you don't do something, you pay the fine. The court said it's not a penalty, it's a tax, so it's constitutional. What happens? Fast forward to the Trump administration, Congress zeroes out that penalty. So now, If you don't buy insurance, you don't pay a penalty. The individual mandate is there, but there's no penalty that attaches to failing to adhere to it. People sue. So both individuals and states, including Texas, sue. And they say, okay, look, if you upheld this individual mandate as a tax and now there's nothing attached to it, you don't pay anything. If you don't buy health insurance, it doesn't look like a tax which means Congress, you no longer have the authority to pass it. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, says, yeah, this individual mandate is unconstitutional and you can't sever it from the rest of the Affordable Care Act. So the whole thing is unconstitutional. That's the case that goes up to the Supreme Court, Joe. And so I was 
predicting that we were going to have a bit more of a decision on those two big issues. Is the individual mandate still constitutional, even if there's no penalty? And if it's not, is the rest of the Affordable Care Act constitutional? We didn't get an answer to either one of those questions. Instead, what we got is the Supreme Court said, you know what? The wrong people walked in the courthouse doors. And I know I've been talking excitedly for a while. I'm going to wrap up by saying this. If you want to go into federal court, everybody, you need something called a case or controversy, which means federal courts can't give advisory opinions. And part of showing that you have a case or controversy is that the group or person who sues has to have something called standing. What is standing? In part, it's to show that you have a real concrete injury and that if you win, that injury will be redressed. What Justice Breyer said for the majority of the court this morning is, you're not injured by a statutory scheme that attaches no penalty to failing to adhere to the individual mandate. All right, Jessica. Now, I saw you on the TV news talking about this case. An excellent job, by the way, I'd like to add. And on that TV appearance, you said that it was a bit of a punt by the court. So I know how much you love sports. So can you please explain to us how this metaphor applies, that punting metaphor? Here's the truly depressing thing for anybody who listens to the podcast and enjoys sports. I think I didn't fully understand what punt means until I started talking about procedural doctrines that federal courts use and understood, oh, when you decide a case based on one of these procedural thresholds, that's a punt. And that's how I essentially understood what a punt is. So why did I say it looks like a punt? Because, Joe, we still don't have a decision on the big constitutional questions. We don't have a decision on whether or not the individual mandate actually is proper under Congress's taxation authority. We don't have a decision on whether or not, if it's not, the rest of the Affordable Care Act should stand. So in that way, it's a punt because it's, I think, kind of a classic Chief Justice John Roberts move, which is if you can make a narrow decision on a big controversial case, then make that narrow decision. And that's what the court did here. It was kind of a non-decision. It's not so much that they upheld the act, it's that they didn't touch the act at all. Now, politically, what happens next, because the Affordable Care Act is still the law of the land, my guess is that it really takes the wind out of the sails of any kind of congressional motivation to pass new health care. And so what we're going to continue to live with is the Affordable Care Act, whether or not you love it or hate it. But I don't see that since it's still around, I don't think there's going to be any congressional motivation to try and pass new comprehensive health care. All right, Jessica, thank you so very much for that assessment. Let's move on. We discussed this next case when we recently previewed all the big decisions from this term that were coming at that point. And this case has its origins in 2018 when the city of Philadelphia decided to prevent Catholic social services from putting children in foster homes due to the CSS's policy of prohibiting same-sex couples from being foster parents. 
CSS sued the city, saying that their organization had a right to exercise of religion because same-sex couples are not recognized in the Catholic faith, regardless of their ability to care for children. The district court denied a motion for preliminary injunction by CSS, and the third court affirmed that, saying that the city of Philadelphia's non-discrimination policy was neutral and that Philadelphia had not singled out CSS for its religious beliefs. So, Jessica, how did the court rule in this particular case? Uh, Unanimously, which surprised me, in favor of the Catholic agency. So you laid out the case perfectly. The city of Philadelphia has an anti-discrimination policy, and what they said here is that CSS was violating that because their job was to certify parents to be prospective parents to be foster parents. And they said, we're not going to certify any same-sex couples. And the city of Philadelphia said, you will if you want to work with us. Basically, here's the deal. You can either uh, certify same-sex couples or we're going to stop working with you and break our contract in the future. CSS, as you said, sued and said, look, under the First Amendment, the Free Exercise Clause, uh, that goes against our religious teachings and we're objecting to that. And so what the court unanimously said is, You're right, CSS, that this freedom of religion that's in the Constitution, it essentially is going to overcome the city's anti-discrimination law. And this is something that we've seen a lot, which is this matchup between uh, the freedom of religion and some would phrase it as the freedom from discrimination. And so the court spoke with a unanimous voice this morning and This was a really robust ruling in favor of religious objectors. All right, Jessica, so what about other dominoes? What are some possible repercussions for this specific case? Will other religious organizations be able to discriminate against same-sex couples when it comes to fostering or adopting children in the name of First Amendment rights? Does uh, Does it have reach beyond child services? Yeah, I'm going to tackle the end of your question, I think. Does it have reach beyond the particular facts of the case? And the answer is absolutely. You know, Again, this is a matchup that we've seen now and will continue to see. On the one hand, people arguing that my freedom of religion, my free exercise clause rights are being burdened. On the other hand, people saying my right to be free from discrimination is burdened. And This is such an important story in the struggle for freedom for the LGBTQ community. And it's such an important lesson in that the struggle does not end with the decision that same-sex couples can marry. And there was that horrible kind of macabre joke right after that decision came out, you can get married on Sunday but fired on Monday morning. And it's true. The idea was, well, now the Supreme Court has said that everybody, opposite-sex couples, same-sex couples, have the right to get married. But there isn't freedom from workplace discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation in a lot of states. And so we know that the ability to get married is not the end of a struggle for equality. Now, What we saw already looming, and a number of the justices previewed this in the same-sex marriage decision, is that there was going to be this struggle between the freedom of religion, again, and for lack of a better way of describing it, the freedom from discrimination. So 
What we've seen recently with respect to the COVID-19 restrictions is that this is a court very worried about religious rights. Now, the COVID restrictions weren't about that matchup between um, freedom from discrimination and freedom of religion. It was just the freedom of religion side of the balance. And we saw that the court really was very skeptical of the government when it was making restrictions that burdened the freedom of religion. And now I think we know very clearly where that balance is gonna tilt. So Joe, a probably too long way of saying, yes, this is a decision that in my mind telegraphs, if you're going to walk into the Supreme Court and say that you have a religious objection, you probably are going to have a favorable audience. All right, Jessica, and a long shadow cast by that gay marriage decision just a few years ago. So, Jessica, let's move on. The final decision today involved Nestle USA, child slave labor, and the alien tort statute. The plaintiffs in this case are former child slaves in the Ivory Coast, that's in Africa, who were kidnapped and forced to work on cocoa farms for up to 14 hours a day with zero pay. These former child slaves filed a class action lawsuit against several large manufacturers, Nestle among them, as well as other companies in the cocoa bean production and supply chain. Now, Jessica, as horrific as this case sounds, what did the court's decision say today? I, really horrific. And I'm, you know, I don't want to skip over that. I always feel like I'm in the position of saying, so there were these really terrible facts. Now let me pivot to, but I think that is largely my role in life. So let me now pivot to saying, uh, let's not take away anything from how horrible the story is, not a story, how horrible the reality is. And say that the court concluded that this statute, that the alien tort statute doesn't reach the conduct alleged here. The court, and it was Justice Clarence Thomas writing for the majority, said that the major operational decisions that were made by plaintiffs happened in this country, happened in the U.S., and that plaintiffs didn't establish that the conduct that you need to show under the alien tort statute occurred in the United States. And so that's all a long way of saying the court concluded that the truly horrific conduct here is not covered by the statute. It didn't occur in the U.S. and that the defendants weren't active enough participants in that conduct. All right, Jessica. Now, we've done previews of how you thought these justices would rule on these cases in some of our previous Passing Judgment episodes. So my question now is, were any of these decisions surprising to you in style or substance, the unanimous decisions, the the particulars, the details? Was anything surprising to you? Yes. Wouldn't it be so lovely if I could say, no, not really, Joe. I was three for three. But of course, these episodes are not just for us. We record them and people can go back and listen and hear uh, that I I did not accurately predict everything. So with respect to the Affordable Care Act, I thought I was going to be saying to you, Joe, well, today, by a slim majority, the Supreme Court struck down the individual mandate but upheld the rest of the law. Instead, today, by a not-that-slim majority, the court didn't even touch the act at all. They made their decision on procedural grounds, which we've seen them do in other big cases, like let's remember redistricting, partisan redistricting. You know, then with respect to the city of Philadelphia versus Fulton case, the foster care case, um, 
I I was surprised that it was unanimous. Thinking back on uh, some of the more recent decisions dealing with the free exercise clause, maybe I shouldn't have been as surprised. But I thought that there were, I thought there would be one or two dissents in there. And then with respect to the alien tort statute, um, not as surprising, just in part because that statute doesn't reach a lot of the conduct that we might expect or think that it would or hope that it would. It just doesn't. It's more narrow than a lot of plaintiffs want it to be. All right, Jessica, we will check your batting average at the end of all these decisions in just a few weeks. They're coming usually by the end of June, right? Uh, Yes, usually by the end of June, which is the one-year anniversary of this podcast. Uh, We will get all of the decisions. Okay, thank you for that. And now one more thing before we go, Jessica. I'd like to infuse just a little bit of levity into these serious topics sometimes. And this involves just a very short backstory, which is that my special lady friend and partner with whom I share living space has a propensity to line things up on the coffee table like putting the remote control exactly perpendicular to the front of the coffee table or lining books up in perfect little stacks. And this has to do with that TV performance that I saw you do earlier this morning on the big news station. An excellent job, I have to say, once again. But watching this, I was struck by the fact that my uh, my special lady friend probably would have crawled into the television and straightened your pictures on the wall behind your head. So my question <laughs> is, do you think that Room Raider, you're going to lose some Room Raider points because of those? Or do I need to buy you a level for your upcoming birthday? Oh my gosh, I had such a long week and it's so fair that she criticized that. Um, And it makes me so sad because as you know, my highest professional achievement was receiving uh, a 10 out of 10 on Room Raider, but I was in a different location at the time. I was in a different room. So yeah, I mean, I think the answer is... I'm really um, sorry to your special lady friend, but uh, I think I'm going to tumble because those pictures lo- look like they were in a tumbler. I mean, that's really an, in, an accurate insight into me, right? The pictures are there. They probably look, I hope, decent, but there's something askew. So that's maybe it reveals more about me than I would hope um, that they would. But I will straighten. I actually have a leveler. And I promise that I will straighten all of this out before we reach the end of the term. All right, Jessica, if you're going to boff one thing, I suppose you should boff the style over the substance. And your substance is always top notch. And thank you for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. But television is a visual medium. And so I will, uh, I will strive to do better. Joe, I think this concludes our breaking news episode talking about the big three cases that the Supreme Court decided. There will be three decision days next week. I'm sure you can hear the excitement in my voice. So we could be back a number of times. And we just want to thank everybody so much for listening. You can find Joe on Twitter and Instagram at In-Depth Day. Me on Twitter and Instagram at Levinson Jessica. The podcast on Twitter at Past Judgment Pod and on Instagram, the same handle. Thank you, Jessica. And thanks, as always, to our loyal listeners. Please tell your friends about what we're doing here. We're trying to get this podcast into the big leagues. So there will be many more Supreme Court decisions in the next couple of weeks. And Jessica and I will get you up to speed on each and every one of them. If it's hot where you are, stay cool. And we will talk to you soon.